church, grades two and below. Some of you are going to be graduating out of Children's Church here in just a little while as you move up to third grade. Boy, oh boy, it's that time of year. Well, we are proud of our graduates. We're proud of all the graduates and thankful for uh, what God is doing in your life and thankful for your plans. And uh, that is going to be great. We can't wait to see what happens in your life. I don't know about everybody else, but uh, I always get excited about what's going to happen. What's, what's, gonna, what's life going to turn out like for them? The book that uh, I went and got for them is a book that was influential in my life. It's called Don't Waste Your Life, written by a guy named John Piper. Uh, it's a book, basically, that the, the, overall, the overall theme of it is this. There's a lot of things you can live your life for. You're going to waste it if you're not living it for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so everything we do, you know, one of my uh, favorite verses is 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, everything you do, do for the glory of God. And so I want to encourage them. That's one of the reasons I gave them that book, Don't Waste Your Life. And speaking of wasting our life, there's a lot of things that we can pursue. Who would argue with this statement, I want to have a blessed life? Doesn't everybody want to have a blessed life? As we look at our scripture this morning in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 17, we're going to talk about that idea of what a blessed life looks like. Most people around the world want to have a blessed life. These graduates that we've celebrated want to have a blessed life. And I entitled the message this because of a recurring word that happens in this scripture we're going to read this morning. That word is blessed. Uh, it happens in verse 11. It happens again in verse 14. And the idea there is, is that we have this calling. And, you know, God wants us to have a blessed life. This is not some sort of foreign teaching. I'm not stretching the scripture to meet what I hope for us to see. We know this because of scriptures like this. We also know because of other scriptures. John 10, 10. Uh, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life and life abundantly. Some versions say that you may live it to the fullest. God wants us to have a good life. There's no problem with having a good life. Psalm 34, 10, which Peter quotes here in, Peter, in uh, chapter 3, says if one would live life and have good days, then, and there's a plan there. That's the idea of having a blessed life. There's not a problem with having a blessed life, with having a good life. The problem happens is when life becomes your God, when the blessing becomes what you pursue. Now, if I was a prosperity gospel preacher, I would probably stop right there and just take off about the blessing. You know, I'd say something to the effect of, you need to stop living in despair and stop and start living like a child of an heir. Hallelujah, pass the offering plates, right? Something like that. But that's not the kind of prosperity preacher that I am. Now, I believe we're called to prosperity, but that call to prosperity and blessing doesn't look like the world uh, 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 describes it. It doesn't look like what the, what the world says a blessing and prosperity looks like, but Jesus describes it altogether differently. I want to read us our scripture, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse, verse 8 through 17, starting at verse 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. 
Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Verse 13, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Verse 17, for it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Lord, we pray that you would just speak to each and every one of us through your word, Lord, through the presence of your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that you would move in us, Lord, that you would transform each and every one of us in the way that we need to change, because we all need growth. Lord, I pray that none of us would leave this place the same way we walked in, but Lord, we would be forever changed because of you, because of you in our lives. Father, it's in your name I pray this, amen. And so the question becomes, what is the blessed life? What is the blessed life and how do we have it? Looking at verse 9, it seems the answer to this question comes. In the middle of the verse, Peter says, this is what you were called to, that you may inherit a blessing. And then he goes on and says, verses 10 through 12, and again, these are a requote from uh, Psalm 34, he who would love life and see good days, da 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 and there you go. Oh, good days, blessed life, that's the kind of thing I want to know about. And, and so essentially, it sounds like we have some ingredients. Here's, here's some ingredients to blessed life stew. And you start reading through verses 10 through 12, and you start thinking, well, maybe this is what you are supposed to do. Okay, verse 10, he says, let him refrain his tongue from evil. Basically, hold your tongue. We're taught throughout scripture all kinds of harm that the tongue does, that it speaks curses, that it speaks uh, coarse language, that it tells filthy jokes, that it gossips, that it lies. You know, why there's such an emphasis on the tongue is because Jesus actually says, out of the mouth overflows the heart. You see, what's in us is actually going to come out through the mouth. So we need to hold the tongue. He says, turn away from evil, something of that uh, respect. It actually turn away from evil and do good. Turn away from evil. That word there is a little more diverse than just to turn away or to avoid it. The actual word there is hate. To make a long explanation short, in the Greek language, you could actually translate that to mean hate. We need to hate evil. Okay, hold the tongue, hate evil. Then he says, do good. Yeah, that makes sense, right? No explanation there. Do good. As God describes good, do good. Then he goes on and says, seek and pursue peace. Well, that makes sense. If I want a good, blessed life, then I need to seek and pursue peace. And in my flesh, in my mind, that makes total and complete sense. If I want good in my life, then I need to do good and refrain from bad. That's how karma works, right? And we believe in karma, right? Some sort of secret mystical force in the universe that gives us good if we do good. Then we start thinking about this, okay, um, all right, verse 12 says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his face against those who do good. 
So if we want God's eyes, his attention, his favor, all right, that makes sense. God's going to do good to us if we do good. But there's a problem with this, right? There's a problem. There's, there's a couple of problems, really. You see, Peter's talking to believers in Christ Jesus, dedicated believers in Christ Jesus, who have stood upon the cornerstone of Christ Jesus. And remember what the, the book of 1 Peter is all about? It's about, all about giving hope to believers who are being persecuted for their faith. You see, they're doing good. They're holding on to the name of God. They're living life for Jesus Christ, and yet they're seeing all kinds of bad things go on in their life. They're suffering, and it's causing them great distress. The second problem is, is this totally negates grace. Anytime we say, if I do good, God will give me good, and that's how I earn a blessed life, then we negate grace. Grace is the, the, free, fervor, or the, the, uh, the free favor of God, the unmerited favor of God. Grace is that idea that I don't deserve it, but God gives it to me anyway. And when we really think about it, I think we really would have a problem with this idea that if I do good, if I speak good, if I refrain from evil, then, then I'll have a blessed life. I think we would all kick back against that for, for another very simple reason. We all live the human life, don't we? And in the human life, don't we face troubles on a regular basis? Death, sickness, heartache, tragedy, un, unexplainable tragedy. And so, okay, is this really... Listen, we can't evangelize in the name of Jesus Christ with this kind of mindset. As long as you do good, then good will happen to you. Because we're surrounded by people in our lives that are filled with heartache. And so we look at this text closer, and we have to start asking the question, okay, God's will is for me to have blessing, to inherit blessing. But maybe Christ's idea of blessing is completely different from what the world's idea of blessing is. And so we look at this text closer, and I want to give you four ideas real quickly this morning of how to have blessing in your life. And the first one is this, and let me just ask, would it be, would it be self-serving if I said to have blessing in your life, you need to be a part of the church? We are blessed when we are in the church. Peter starts off with verse 8 with a word. He says, finally. You see what he's doing is he is summing up everything that he has been speaking to these people that are reading his letter. Starting way back in verse 2, he talks to them about submitting. Submitting to the government, submitting to your employers, submitting to your husbands. Husbands submitting as well. Submission, how to live in the life that you've been given. And it even really goes all the way back to chapter 2 verse 9 when he says, Hey guys, you are a holy nation. A royal priesthood, God's own special people. Because of Christ Jesus, you've been made into this special people. And that's why we stress that church is not a building, it is God's people. You want a blessed life? Blessing comes from being in God's church. Because we are put into God's church when we believe in Him as Lord and Savior. And then consider some of the words used just in verse 8. Peter is talking to the church, and he says, you need to be in one mind. In other words, you need to be un united. Unity is so important. I mean, it's something that Christ prayed for on his last night on earth, that we would be united, that we would be unified in one spirit. 
because we would be a proof that the Father had sent Jesus Christ. He says we need to have compassion for one another, literally meaning that we need to feel one another's hurts, that we need to love as brothers. A lot of times people think that that's the word agape, that unconditional love, but right there it's the Greek word phileo, talking about brotherly love. You see, agape is assumed among God's people. What, what Peter is saying right here is I want you to respect each other. To be unified, to have compassion, to have respect, to be tender-hearted. Being hard-hearted was and is the norm for the lost world. You're down on your luck, too bad, you deserve it. And what Peter is saying is that's not how the church is to be. We are to be tender-hearted, soft-hearted, bleeding-hearted for those that are hurting. And he says, be courteous. Well, that seems easy enough for us Southerners, right? We're courteous. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, sir, and thank you. That's not what this word means. It means to be humble. You can almost hear the Apostle Paul from Philippians 2 saying, Let this mind being you that you put one another's needs before the other, being considerate of each other, doing nothing out of selfish conceit or vain ambition. When we're a part of the church, it means that we're supposed to be putting each other ahead of each other. You know, if the whole church does that, you know what that leads to? A blessed life. Now, this is not the whole list of how the church is to live with each other. It's merely a brief description. The point is being made that we need the unity of the church to have a blessed life. You know, a lot of times I have people going through heartache, and they say, I don't know how anybody does this without a church family. You know what I always say? I don't know either. I don't know either because I've experienced that love and blessing that it means to be a part of God's family, to be a part of the church. And this is not meant to, point, to be a point of contention or ostracizing those who are not a part of the body of Christ, but it certainly should be a witness. The lost should be able to see the love in God's people and say, I am missing that in my life. The compassion, the unity, the tenderheartedness, the, the things that they share with each other. I am missing that. Does the blessing of being a part of God's family witness to the lost people in your life? Because it should be. It should be a witness. The fact is, is that we are blessed to be a part of God's church because that is a part of the redemption of Christ and being born again. The blessed life is not from the church, but it is about being part of in the church. I think I put that up there, didn't I? The blessed life is not from the church, but it is in the church. Because being in the church means that we are in Christ, that we are part of his body. We're part of the bride, we're part of his love that he poured out on humanity. Number two. The blessed life is found in a relationship with God. Do you, do you like extreme sports? Do you like, do you like I, I don't know if you ever watch it on TV, right? These guys that get up on cliffs with nothing but a parachute strapped to their back and they jump off and wait for the last second to pull the parachute. Or people who get on a bicycle and they ride on the edge of the cliff. And extreme sport. I, I kind of like watching it. The most extreme sport I'll ever do is... I don't know, jump rope maybe, something like that. But probably not a lot of extreme sport going on. I, maybe walking in shoes without proper arch support. That might be my most extreme sport. But 
the blessed life, being in the blessed life is really a call to be extreme. Here's what I mean. Peter says in verse 9 that we need to return evil for good. Not return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. You can almost hear the words of Jesus saying, turn the other cheek. Or when people do evil for you or to you, return to them good. That's extreme, isn't it? Because we live in a day and time, well, heck, all of humanity's always been like this. If you do bad to me, what? I'm going to get back at you. Right? We don't get mad, but we get even. I mean, that's, that's the norm of humanity from, from probably all of history is I'm going to get back at you. That's my natural inclination. But what Christ calls us to do is extreme. Don't return evil for evil, but give back good. So how is it possible that we can repay evil with good and in so doing we inherit a blessing? This is why Peter quotes from Psalm 34, because it is not possible to do on our own, but can only happen as a result of one who has put their whole faith in Jesus Christ. Verses 10 through 11, he is describing a relationship, a life that is in relationship with God. To love life, to see good days, to refrain from evil speech and evil actions, to choose to do good and to seek and to pursue peace requires the righteousness of God overtaking my natural unrighteous life living in me. I can't pursue any of these things. I can't go after these things. My natural inclination is to do evil. Can I get an amen? And so... In order to look at the evil being done to me and say, I'm going to repay that with good, God must replace the unrighteous evil in me with his righteousness. And he says, if you allow that, then you will inherit a blessing. Verse 11 reminds me of the Beatitudes, right? Verse 11, let him seek peace and pursue it. The Beatitudes, blessed are they that, in that particular one, he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they are the children of God. But then you start thinking about what is, what is this idea of being a child of God. And you remember the very first chapter of the Gospel of John tells us that the children of God are those that receive Christ and believe in Him. The only way I can pursue peace and want peace is if Christ has replaced the warring flesh in me. Another verse from Psalm 34 that Peter doesn't quote here that you are probably more familiar with that I am more familiar with is verse 8. Psalm 34 verse 8. Just note that and go look it up later. He says this, taste and see that the Lord is good. Does that sound familiar? He goes on and says, blessed is the one who trusts in him. On my own, there is no way I can give good for evil. I want revenge. And that is when we realize that this action is extreme and requires an extreme God in our lives. I cannot do this in my natural state, but I must have a supernatural state put in me. You know what today is? Today is the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Easter. You know what happened on the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit fell on the disciples of Christ. And when we become followers of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. And you know what the Holy Spirit does? 
he begins replacing all those evil fleshly sides of us that want us to take revenge and instead says, no, do good in repayment of evil. Don't return evil for evil and reviling for reviling, insult for insult, but instead live Christ's way. Why do we say this is Christ's way? Because when he was on that cross being reviled, when he was on that cross being hurt and injured, when he was on that cross and people saying, why don't you just go ahead and die? What would he say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He was blessing them in return for the revile, for the insult, for the evil that he had been a part of. There's no better blessing than trusting in the Lord and tasting and seeing that the life he offers is so much better than what the world offers us. And when we have this blessed relationship with God, then we are able to ask this rhetorical question of verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? That is, followers of God. You can almost hear Paul again in Romans 8.31 saying, If God is for us, who can be against us? And the answer that isn't shouted out should be shouted out in all of our ears, no one. No one of consequence. If God is for me, if I have a relationship with the God of heaven and earth, what does it matter if someone hurls insults my way? What does it matter if they injure me? What does it matter if they do evil against me? It doesn't because God is for me. Who is it that harms me? But this attitude of who can harm me that allows us to release the anger of being wronged only comes as a result of the blessing of being in relationship with God. So the question is, is do you have that relationship with God that allows you to release the anger and saying, I want your blessing, God, instead of the world's blessing? Number three, we are blessed in life when Christ is Lord. Of our life. In light of the blessing of knowing the Lord, we must not do what is tempting to do, and that is to pursue the blessing. You see, that, that the blessing cannot become the motivation of our life. God says, I'm going to inherit a blessing. I'm going after that blessing, right? You start asking questions like this, okay? Do I go to church to receive a blessing or to be a blessing? Do I worship the Lord so that I receive a blessing or to give a blessing? Do I hate evil and do what is good to receive a blessing or to be a blessing? You see, the blessed life is not what we pursue. It is what we inherit as a child of God. Put it another way, the blessed life is not an accomplishment. It is not an accomplishment it is an allocation of the grace of God. And so it cannot become the motivation. So what is our motivation? Christ is Lord of my life. Christ is Lord of my life, and I have set him up in the heart as Lord of my life. This section, verse 14 through 16, I want to just real quickly, because I know I'm running out of time, Verse 14 requotes Isaiah chapter 8. It probably says that if you have one of these study Bibles, it probably tells you that. Verse 8 through 12, or verse 8, chapter 8, verse 12 of Isaiah, which is a story of Israel 
the northern kingdom of Israel and Assyria. They've joined forces and they're threatening to attack the southern kingdom of Judah. Ahaz is the king at the time and Ahaz is being tempted to fall in ranks with the the king of Israel and the king of Assyria because he is frightened to death. And Isaiah in chapter 8 says this to Ahaz, don't do it, don't do it. But instead, trust in God. I'm paraphrasing what Isaiah says. Don't fear what the people fear, he says, but fear the Lord and let him become your dread. Essentially, trust in the Lord and let him fight your battles for you. So verse 14. But verse 15 is also a throwback to Isaiah chapter 8. Verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. It again is is reflecting back to Isaiah chapter 8 because Isaiah goes on and tells Ahaz, the Lord of hosts, that is the Lord of the heavenly armies, if you will honor him as Lord of your life, as holy, that is set him apart, that is sanctify him, that he essentially... He essentially will fight your battles. If he would set apart Jehovah as Lord, then Jehovah will fight your battles, Ahaz. And Peter is saying the same thing here in chapter 3, verse 15. You want the blessed life? Understand that suffering will come. It's a part of life. But if you will set apart Christ as Lord in your life, then there is no reason to fear that which comes against you. Because if Christ is Lord, who can harm you? Nobody. And verse 14 actually tells us, even if you suffer, what? Did you catch that? Even if you suffer, for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. I almost titled this point, the blessed life is in suffering. But that's so counterintuitive to our way of thinking, isn't it? That's not a blessing. Listen. If Christ is Lord of your hearts, then whatever is thrown our way, we can view it as a blessing because he has everything shored up in himself. We think back to chapter 2 of 1 Peter, verses 20 through 21, and just write that down. What does Peter tell us when we suffer for doing good? He says, it is commendable. And I told you that word means it is a grace unto you from God himself. When you suffer and you've not done anything wrong, let me tell you, God sees it. And though right now in the flesh it may feel like he's not doing anything about it, we just set him as Lord and allow him to give you the hope to see it through. It's easy to say, difficult to do, requires faith. Requires faith, it requires leaving Christ on the throne. Because sometimes I'm like, okay, Christ, Get on down. I can handle this a lot better, buddy. Right? I'm human. I'm flesh. I'm being confessional to you. Hopefully somebody relates with that. Come on, Christ. You're not handling this the right way. Let me take care of this. But he says, no, set me as Lord. Trust in me, and I will give you a hope. I will give you a hope that you won't even be able to understand. Sometimes we say it like this. I'll give you a peace that passes understanding. He can't give that to you if you're taking him off the throne. And here is the great gospel invitation in this scripture. I mean, it's throughout the scripture, but right here. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And that means literally, place him on the throne of your hearts. Set him apart. Put everything else away and 
elevate him as the Lord of your life. Unless you have received Christ as Lord, you cannot be saved. And there is no chance of any type of blessed life without the blessing of salvation that comes only as a result of making Christ the Lord of your life. Romans 10, 9. If I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, then I will be saved. Romans 10, 13. All those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Is he the Lord of your life? And setting him as the Lord of our hearts means that there will be a dramatic shift in our mindsets, in our lives, especially in regards to actions and attitudes. Suddenly, all of the horrible things that you face, you'll have a sense of hope in spite of it. Oh, it doesn't mean that you're going to go around with some sort of psychotic smile on your face. Life is good, even though I'm facing horrible trials. No, it's this deep inner sense, unseen hope that you can't even explain. A hope that is based in God being your God, Christ being your Lord and your Savior. And you know what's going to happen? He says two things are going to happen, verse 15 and verse 16. Number one, they're going to start asking about your hope. Why do you have hope? You of all people, why do you have hope? And that's when you get to witness our change, our hope, our blessed life in light of our suffering is going to be a witness to those who see it. But the question is, is my hope a witness? Too often we like the attention of being the victim instead of taking our role as victor. The victory we have in Christ Jesus is so much more assuring and so much more hopeful than being victim. And we are not victims if Christ is our Lord. But if we are in Christ, then we are the victor. And again, who can harm us? So why do I hope? I hope because I have a blessed life that comes as a result of the grace of God in Christ Jesus on my life. And we are to give a reply like this, but without boastfulness, without a sense of proud of me, Peter says to be ready to give a defense. That idea is, is an explanation. It's not like we're defending something literally. But it's, in fact, some of your versions might translate that word apology. Because apology isn't, I'm sorry. But apology is an explanation of what, you, what you're doing or what you believe. You do it with meekness and fear. The second thing that's going to happen is it says, those who defame us will be put to shame if we have a good conscience. A good conscience is a result of heeding the leading of the Holy Spirit in regards to sin. Notice Peter doesn't say a clear conscience. Because in my human flesh, I'm able to rationalize sin and I'm able to clear conscience on my own accord. But a good conscience only comes as a result of setting Christ as Lord. Because when Christ is Lord of our lives, what are we told? He transforms our minds. He renews our minds. He cleanses our minds and gives us a good mind, a good conscience. When Christ is Lord, we are given a good conscience. He replaces that old with the new. Fourth and final, very quickly, we are blessed in our life when we are in his will. We are blessed in our life when we are in his will. It doesn't get any clearer. Verse 17, it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. The very best thing for our lives is to be in the will of God. And Peter states it, it is better to suffer even 
if it is the will of God, then it is to go on in our own plans. Our tendency and temptation is to believe that there is no way that God wants us to suffer. And certainly it seems to the human eye that suffering would be the opposite of blessing. But the Bible teaches over and over that there is a purpose in all of this. If we will trust in Him. The Bible teaches us over and over, not only should we expect it, but we can count on it actually. If we hold true to the name of Jesus Christ, we at some point in our life will suffer because of that. Either by a human enemy or by the enemy. Remember John 10.10, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy because he hates us. The enemy being the devil. And, and, and certainly it teaches, uh, it seems to the human eye that we shouldn't expect suffering, but that's what the Bible seems to teach. Now, does it mean that God takes pleasure in our pain? Certainly not. God does not pleasure in our pain any more than he pleasures in a sparrow falling to the ground. And that is not what this or any other scripture is implying. But that our blessed life does not come from what pleases our flesh. The blessed life comes from being in the will of God. Are you in the will of God? As we close out this message, I want to ask you some questions. God's will is that we have a blessed life. But that blessed life is not measured by the world's standards, but by His standards. Are you measuring your life up against God's standards this day? God's will is that we would repent from our sins and be saved in the name of Jesus Christ. This is why He sent His Son to die, to suffer on the cross. Have you received Jesus as your Savior and Lord? God's will is that we would have a blessed life by having a close relationship with Him. But we can't have a close relationship with Him if we're living in disobedience. Is there something in your life that you are harboring, some sin you are harboring that is blocking the blessing of being in a close relationship with Christ our Lord? Something that is removing from Christ being on the throne of your heart? Christ wants you to have a blessed life of being a part of his church. Are you missing out on the blessing of being a part of a church family? During this time of invitation, my hope this morning is that you would respond as the Lord leads you. Would you bow and pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the promise of a blessed life. Whether it's really back to you or, or maybe going to some sort of quick effort.